0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. Have you come to receive this morning? Have you come to be changed this morning? And praise God you won't be disappointed because if you believe that, it will be done. Amen. We're talking about the power of God. Didn't think we'd be on lesson four at this time, but when I began it, but we are. Number four. Just a quick review. Acts chapter four, verses um, 31 through 33. We could read them. These are our primary texts that we used. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had all things common. And with great power, everybody say that, great great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace, say that, great grace was upon half of them, Oh, all of them, great grace and great power on all of them, each and every one. We talked about three, three, three things from these verses of Scripture. Number one, prayer. They prayed. And number two, they were passionate. There's passion revealed here. They were passionate about certain things. And then number three, they proclaimed it. They gave witness to it. So prayer, passion, and proclamation is what we're talking about. We talked about prayer. Look at James chapter 5, verse 16. This is from the Amplified Classic Version. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So through prayer, we talked about there is tremendous power available to us. So, in other words, if we want tremendous power in manifestation or on display, what do we have to do? Pray. So, if we pray, we can generate miracle-working power. In that prayer, we talked about how they acknowledge certain things. They acknowledge His creative powers and abilities in all of creation. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. And when you compare your problem to the backdrop of that, the problem that we have seems so minute and small, compared to God's creative powers and abilities. Then they acknowledge also the threats that were coming their way. They acknowledge the word that was spoken through David. David. And then, as a result, praise God, The place was shaken. You talk about prayer? We're talking about place-shaking prayer. Power and manifestation and demonstration that shook the place where they were assembled together. What a powerful thing. As a matter of fact, I expect that. If we believe that, we can have that. I expect that. That in these upcoming days, weeks, and months, as God manifests himself among us, praise God. You know, it could very well be that we shake, but when the place is shaken, it's a whole lot more. Why? Because we want everybody around us to see it. They acknowledge the fact that they were threatened. And remember this, this is in the context of their proclaiming Jesus in their society, in their environment. And when they appealed to God, God answered from heaven with great power. As we continue our study, look at that verse again, verse 32, because passion was the next thing. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Can you imagine what this verse is really revealing to us? These people had a passion to serve God in love. They were passionate about serving one another in love. You don't sell all that you have so that you can have all things common if you're not passionate about loving God and loving one another. There was a passion that they had to serve God in this way. They had, compa- they had passion to promote unity among the people and equality among the people, something our culture is really missing today having all things equal. Look, we've got the same Father, we've got the same Savior, we've got the same Holy Spirit, we've got the same redemptive rights, we belong to the same family. No one is better than anybody else. We're all equal in Christ, amen? We all have the same things in common in Christ, right? Appreciate your enthusiasm. Don't we have all things? Aren't we all equal? No one's better than another? If anything, what does the Bible teach us? We're to consider others even more highly than ourselves. Right? So praise God, that's the Christ-like attitude. And they had that. They displayed that. They had a passion for that. And they wanted to see God move. Look at the book of Psalms, chapter 63. Here's David's desire. His passion. Oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh longs for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see your power and your glory, so that as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. What's David saying? I've got a passion for you I don't want to go to church and just say, oh, that was a nice little religious thing that we went through. Let's go, let's go through all the thing, the ritualistic liturgy of this, that, and the other thing. No. When I go there, I want to see you. Yes. I want you to show up. I want you to manifest your presence. I want your power on display. I want your glory. To blanket this place, praise God. It doesn't matter what we do. We want you here orchestrating it all. That's what our desire is. That you show yourself to be a living God. Who reaches out to meet the needs of all the people. That's what he was passionate about. Well, their prayer and their passion produce what? Great power to witness. The resurrection of Jesus. Notice what that power is for. To witness the resurrection of Jesus. And great grace was upon them. Why? Remember Paul said, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. With great grace, we can overcome the challenges that we face in this life. With great grace, we could rise up above the mountains of adversity that come against us. And view them as what? Windows of opportunity for us to demonstrate how great our God is. Is so great power to witness the resurrection. You talk about a message that we have Jesus is alive, victorious over death, over hell, and the grave. And we've got that message within our hearts to let people know what are we facing? What are we going through in life? What's the report of man? We've got a higher report, we believe the report of the Lord. Thank God whose report will you believe? We believe the report of the Lord. His report says, I am saved, I am healed, I am delivered, I am set free, I am victorious, I am made whole, I'm cared for, divinely protected, I am loved. Praise God. That's what it says. You're really enthusiastic this morning. I'm preaching better than you're shouting this morning. Jesus was compassionate. You talk about his passion. You ready for his passion? His passion was people. He wasn't concerned about politics. He wasn't concerned about making them a, a, a political capital once again. He wasn't concerned about that, all that that was going on in, in Israel. He was concerned about every individual person that was hurting. He wanted to help every individual recover, be whole, be delivered, be set free. He made known exactly what his platform was. I'm not here to reestablish the kingdom as far as politics is concerned. I am here to set the captives free. To deal with the sin issue and the sin problem. And wherever I see hurting humanity, to bring restoration in that person's life. That's exactly what he came for. As a matter of fact, look at Matthew 14, 14. You talk about compassion. You talk about a mission. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. People say he just wanted to prove that he was the Messiah. Oh, no, he didn't. He could not stand hurting humanity. He could not take it when he sees people hurting, sickly, and let's say, controlled by demonic influences and powers. Everywhere he went, he sought anyone. He came to seek and save the lost and hurting people to restore them to health and wholeness once again. And primarily he came to do what? Save their lost souls. Look, there's a lot of people in the day of Jesus that were rejected by society and the self-righteous religious people. And they weren't concerned about the hurting person. The blind man, if you recall, who are you? You're nothing but a blind man. You're under a curse. Who are you? You can't even have a baby. Are you kidding me? You're under a curse. That's how they viewed sick people. In other words, you're not even a worthy human being. You're lower class. You're a second class citizen. But you see, here, we, we got robes on. We're self-righteous. We're religious people. God really loves us, but not you. It, was that Jesus? As a matter of fact, how about the woman at the well? Yeah, I want to show you the character of Jesus. Oh, my. The woman at the well is a what? Samaritan. Did the Jews like the Samaritans? They were half-breeds, right? You see they marry Gentile people. And so as a result of the marriage, they're called half-breeds. And so they were rejected from being at the temple. So they built their own temple and said, we're going to worship God over here. We can't worship God with you because you see we're half-breeds. We're despised. We're rejected. How about to this length? To get to Galilee from Jerusalem was a straight shot through Samaria, but they wouldn't go that way. Are you kidding me? They had to cross the Jordan, go the other side and around. They wouldn't walk in what is called Samaria. Uh-uh. No, no, no. We're not going to walk there. You talk about passion. You talk about compassion. Jesus tells his disciples, "Uh, I got to go through Samaria. What? I have to go through Samaria. Oh. We normally take the, I know it's a shorter route, but we take the long way around because those people are half-breeds, rejected by society. So he goes to Samaria and who does he see? A woman, a woman at the well. Women, women were second class citizens. And if you're a Samaritan woman, I don't know what class you are. But Jesus goes there and says to her, "Uh, you know, got any the water there? You know the story and they have dialogue. His disciples see all this, they're not going to question him, but guess what? He reveals to a Samaritan woman that he is the Messiah. If you recall the story, he said to her, you know what, you've had five husbands. The the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. You're living in a state of immorality, we know that. And your people even reject you because you're there by yourself. That you, they don't want to be seen with you as well. So she's rejected by the Jews. She's rejected by her people. And now everybody thinks she's just a reject. But Jesus comes along and says, uh, I can have some water. Well, yeah, but you're talking to me, a woman of Samaria? Yeah. And as the dialogue goes along, She said, well, look, I don't know what's the right thing to do as far as worship is concerned, but we know when the Messiah comes. When he comes, he's going to straighten us out. Jesus says, well, I'm the one speaking to you, the Messiah. Uh, Can you imagine the Jews now? (laughs) Really? Yeah. A woman? A Samaritan woman? Are you kidding me? And guess what else he did? What about the... Levite and the priest that walked by the guy that was robbed and mugged and lying on the road dying. And Jesus says, the priest just walked by. And the Levite, you know, he was uh, of the tribe of Levi. He was uh, one that worked and cooperated with the priests and he had a secondary, you know, responsibility. Some were musicians and some were temple guards and they were guardians of the temple and they watched this or they did that, whatever. In other words, they were laborers together with the priest to, to do these different things. But you see, the priest was too good to help that man. And, and the Levi was too good to help that man. But he said, but a Samaritan guy came over, bound him up, got him some help, and left some money. Or said, if it's not enough, you can come and see me and I'll repay you more. He said, now, go and do likewise. A Samaritan? And mm, ten lepers were healed by the ministry of Jesus. And one came back to give thanks. And who is he? A Samaritan. And then, to top it all off. You ready for this one? Go in all the world, he said, right? Preach the gospel? On the day of Pentecost, before Pentecost, he said in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come on you. And when he comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus wasn't prejudiced. He wasn't racial. It didn't matter to him where you came from, what your gender was. He was concerned about meeting you where you are at and meeting your need, restoring you, helping you, lifting you up, encouraging you, setting you on the right path so he can use you for his honor and glory. What about tax collectors and prostitutes? He ate with them and was criticized for doing so. But his reason was what? The motive was what? So that they could be a part of his work and he enlisted them in his work. He was passionate about finding somebody hurting and helping that person rise up, understand what life is all about, and go forward and and use their life to his honor and to his glory. And then what about his passion let's say toward the scribes and the Pharisees? You ready for this one? You say, what does this have to do with power? Let me tell you something. It was the compassion that he had, the drive that he had, that activated his power to take that Samaritan woman and make her whole. Forgive her, cleanse her, and get her on the right path. And guess what? She went out and evangelized for him, didn't she? You talk about how many came to the kingdom because of her testimony. Now we see, not just because of what you said, but because of, we see him. Every single one of us has been brought up out of the miry clay to serve the living God who brought us up out of the miry clay. Uh, When it comes to children, think about children. Get them away from me. Get them out of here. Don't, Don't let them bother the master. What did Jesus say? Stop right now. Bring them to me. Let me bless them. Oh, how important they were to him. To get them at an early age and let them know, man, God loves you. You're significant. You're important. God loves you. And then the list goes on. You get someone like a Peter and a Thomas. Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas and sometimes snicker a little bit. How can he be so doubting? What a tragedy that his name is Doubting Thomas, and that's how we know him. Because, you know, once he saw that Jesus truly was alive and raised from the dead, he became such an evangelist that he was known throughout the region for sacrificing his life to defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So really, he wasn't all that doubting, was he? He put his life out there and died a martyr's death just because he believed. But what did Jesus do for him? He restored and reassured His faith. And what about the man named Peter who denied him three times because he should have known better. He said he wouldn't do it because God knows human nature and how fragile we are. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. What was he saying? I'm concerned about you. Thomas to restore you. Peter to restore you. To reconcile you with God. He was all about helping people recover whether they were even with him or outside the camp. He was concerned about hurting humanity. Now, we talk about passion. When we read this, I don't know what it's going to do to you. It, just, it does a lot for me. Matthew chapter um, 23. This is meaningful to me because when I first came to Christ, I read this section of scripture and it just blew me away. He was passionate about helping no matter who you were no matter what your condition, to restore you, and rebuild you, and encourage you. But the ruling, religious, self-righteous individuals, exactly, woe unto you. But woe unto you, scribes, those are the teachers of the law, and Pharisees, hypocrites. And as I say this, keep this in the back of your mind. Most people today believe, well, the Jewish people, they are God's chosen people, so they're all going to heaven. Really? Is that what Jesus taught? Let's see what Jesus taught. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes, teachers of the law, and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. You fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever swears by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. You fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, swears by it. And by all things thereon, whosoever shall swear by the temple swears by it and by him that dwells therein, and he that shall swear by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him that sits upon sits upon the throne thereon. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment mercy, and faith. These ought you have done, and not left leave the other undone. You blind guys would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. I, I couldn't help but when I read that over again, just that how descriptive. You, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Wow. Can you envision somebody swallowing a camel? Wow. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, you may clean the outside of the cup and out of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, clean, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like unto widest sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones." And of all uncleanness, even so you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Everybody say, oh my. Oh, Did it sound like that he was passionate? Oh, yeah. Is every Jewish person going to make heaven? No way! Wow. He came to help people. They weren't helping anybody but themselves. He came to encourage people. To restore humanity. To die the death that he died so that there wouldn't be any prejudice. Racial distinctions. You know, when I think about the body of Christ, you know what it's comprised of? Jews... And Gentiles. Washed in the blood of Jesus. It didn't matter what kindred, tongue, people or nation you come from. You're one in Christ. Brothers and sisters. Washed in the blood. He was just passionate about extending love, help, forgiveness, mercy no matter who you were. And he taught this to Paul. Look at Acts chapter uh, 13, verse 10. When he was challenged and said to the individual, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. And thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. In other words, Paul spoke out and pronounced judgment upon those that were standing against him as he was proclaiming the truth of the gospel. They rejected it. You know what? It took Jesus a lot to do what he did for us. And he didn't do what he did for us so we can have Sex and groups and, you know, just cliques and all that. He came so that we can become one, promote unity, equality among all of us. Because you see where there's unity among God's people and equality among God's people, we create a habitation for God and make a highway for Him to move in a powerful and glorious way. You see this in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, 11 through 14 where it talks about they were of one heart, one mind, one accord. They were sanctified or set apart. They were also unified and also they were purified. And in that state, it says, as they just said, praise the Lord for His good, His mercy endures forever, that then the place was filled with the cloud, the glory of the, of the Lord filled the house of God. Where there's unity, there's a highway for God to move with great power and might. And then when we have unity and equality among the people, it creates, I believe, a barrier that the enemy cannot penetrate and manifest his will among people. In Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 12, what does it say? One standing alone can be easily defeated. Two can stand back to back and overcome, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. So when people are united together as one, God's power begins to move. This shield of protection is around them. The enemy cannot penetrate it. And guess what? That's why Ananias and Sapphira died by judgment when they lied to the Holy Ghost and said, Oh, we didn't, we sold our house for all this amount of money and all that. And they, Peter said, Why'd you let the devil fill your heart and mind with those thoughts? You see, He didn't want division among the people. Jesus said, a house divided cannot possibly stand. God wants us all to see each other as equals and love each other intensely and exalt each other above ourselves so we could have those two things that God would manifest his power enemy can't penetrate it. And then in Genesis chapter 11, where it talks about how they built the Tower of Babel, and God himself said, you see what they're doing? And if they're united, they're going to do whatever they want to do, and we can't stop it. Of course, he did stop it by changing their language, so they couldn't be united. So also, it makes it easier for us to achieve our goals and experience what we really desire from God. Well, beloved, we're living in some crazy times, wouldn't you agree? And there's nothing that's going to turn this world back right side up other than Jesus and the power of God on display. It's time for churches to rise up and start proclaiming that we believe in the power of God. We believe in the power of unity. We believe that Jesus is Lord over this nation. We believe He's moving in our government. We believe that we're going to do our part to help out by voting in the right people. But, you know, as far as we're concerned, only God can change a heart. Only God can turn a nation. And it's up to us to start believing and stop saying against it, and start saying for it, I believe that Jesus is Lord over the United States of America, and I believe His power is on display right now. He is moving across the land with great power and might. He has shown Himself to be strong. The Spirit of God is hovering over this entire nation from sea to shining sea, and the blood of the Lamb is around us to protect us, praise God, from every outside force of influence and evil. We just believe for a national revival, not going to come but we see it done we call it done, we have it done, we declare it's done we proclaim it's done in the mighty name of Jesus hallelujah to the Lamb of God thank you Jesus and that brings us to our last point prayer yes, to appeal to heaven, passion yes, to be united together as one, no matter what we are going through, you know this is something real quick before I get to that when you've got a colony, for example, of lepers, and let's just say this one was a Jew and this one was a Samaritan and this was another Gentile from here, maybe Egypt or wherever, but you put them in the same colony and they're all lepers, guess what? It doesn't matter anymore where you come from, what your gender is, who, what your background is, what your race is. We're all lumped together right here in this fate that we're in. We're all lepers and doomed. Well, does it matter now. It doesn't matter anymore. When Jesus saw the ten lepers, he just saw them, they were lepers, and he said, all, all of you, go show yourself to the priest. Come back here. whole." Didn't matter where they came from. But isn't it sad that a Samaritan had to come back and give thanks when all the others who should have never did? And Jesus points it out, doesn't he? What was he trying to do? Correct their prejudice, wasn't he? Now you go preach to the Samaritans. You see that woman? She's restored. Now she's a whole person once again. Yeah. So, Jesus promotes that. In our proclamation, what we proclaim, you talk about what we have to proclaim, we have to proclaim this, that Jesus saves, heals, delivers, sets free, makes whole, restores, breaks down the walls and the barriers between people, between nations, etc., etc. Look in the third verse there again, Acts 4.33. Acts 4.33 prayer and passion produce proclamation and the proclamation is a declaration or a decree of something that you believe in and here and with great power gave the apostles witness you see to get to the third step we got to get through the second step and the second step is restoration and wholeness and desire you see all these individuals that Jesus reached out to. and He wasn't condemning anyone. He was showing mercy. He wasn't making a public example of anyone. He was showing them mercy. He was showing them forgiveness and kindness and restoring them. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon. Don't you love that? You want great grace? Do we want great power? Then we've got to be prayerful, passionate people that long for God to show up when we get together. And we make that highway for him to move by looking at each other as valuable and precious and special. You are a masterpiece. Did you look in the mirror this morning and say, you are a masterpiece. You are a work, not a piece of work. (laughs) You are a work of outstanding artistry, skill, and workmanship. You see, we see everybody else, oh, she's a piece of work. He's a piece of work. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what does Jesus see us as? A work of outstanding quality, skill, workmanship, artistry. Oh, my goodness. You'd be looking in that mirror and just saying, wow, you, wow, you angel, you. (laughs) Not a devil, you, you angel, you. Now, look in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. We'll close it here with these last two verses. But um, this is what Jesus is all about. He's not about condemning anybody. Who is he that condemns? It's not God. It's the devil that condemns. Who is he that humiliates? It's not God. He's he's not the one. Who is he, the one that destroys people? It's not not God. That rejects people like the woman at the well. No, no. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me he says because he has anointed me to proclaim here's my proclamation five steps you could say on the plat up to the platform of his platform he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he sent me to heal the brokenhearted preach deliverance to the captives the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty the bruised and preach the acceptable year of the lord this is why the Holy Ghost has anointed me. That while I'm here on this planet, I'm going to let every person who needs to hear good news hear some good news. The good news is Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, Jesus restores, Jesus sets free. This should be our proclamation. But yet the church has been silent, even about the healing power of God, almost reducing it to nothing as if, Jesus has changed over the years, but you know as well as I do that Hebrews 13, 8 says he is the same yesterday, he's the same today, he's the same forever as he walked on the earth, so he is right now, and it's time that we line up with what he is and stop buying what the world says he's not. He is our Savior. He is our Healer. He is our Deliverer. He's our Baptizer with the Holy Ghost and Fire. He's anointed us, appointed us, equipped us, enabled us, empowered us to do what? Be conduits of His power and His passion to reach hurting humanity. Look in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 and verse 18. This is from the New Living Translation. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed... For destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So, where does this lead the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God is God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation... Oh, hallelujah. Both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God, and Christ is the wisdom of God. Hallelujah. Oh, it may be foolish to them, but not to us. Praise God, through the foolishness of of preaching, he confounds the wise and the intelligent of this world. How in the world can laying on of hands cause a tumor to dissipate and disappear? I don't know, but I know he knows all I know is just do it and watch it happen. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's all stand together